This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the 15 Minute Smarter Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dr. Jonathan Falconer, and once again, we have the wonderful Dr. Claire Kincannon. That's me. Yeah, I'm here. Pretty wonderful. Feeling wonderful. And today we're going to talk about materials, obviously, because that's sort of the general theme. Well, yeah. Yep. Uh, Advanced materials and nanotechnology. But today we're going to talk about materials that put all the other materials to dust in terms of intellect. That's true. They're right up the top. Yeah. They can do all kinds of cool things. Yeah. We're going to try and figure out whether we're actually smarter than these materials. (laughs) And I don't know. We didn't feel smart (laughs) enough to define what a smart material was. So we found somebody smarter than we are. It's a good plan. Hmm. I'm Jemmy Malmström. I am a senior lecturer at the Department of Chemical and Materials Engineering at the University of Auckland. And I'm also a primary investigator in the McDermott Institute for Advanced Materials and Nanotechnology. Excellent. And today we're talking about a particular kind of advanced materials. They've advanced so far that we're actually calling them smart materials. But Jenny, what is a smart material? I guess that a smart material is um, defined as any material that can change its property in response to some sort of stimuli. So think, for example, um, moisture or pH or salt concentration, and the material would respond to that and change something about itself. I'm curious. So in America, we have this type of mud that if you it's like a non-Newtonian fluid. So if you step on it, you'll sink. And then if you jump on it, it'll be solid. Would that be considered a smart material? Because it does different things with different force applied? I'm sure you could define it as a smart material if you wanted to. Although I think that that's taking the, the essence of the, <laughs> of the idea of smart materials a bit far. I like the idea of mud being a smart material. Yeah. <laughs> He's a big fan of this mud. <laughs> it's his favorite kind of mud. <laughs> yeah, those kind of um, materials are pretty cool, eh? You can like walk but, on uh, cornstarch and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the non-Newtonian. But ha- this ability to make a material smart. And so are materials, can materials be naturally smart, like John owns mud? Or is it a case of scientists working to make materials smart? I think the term came about because people were starting to work to make materials smart. And that's probably why they were beginning to be called smart materials, because they were really engineered to do something specific. But um, in the process of, I guess, looking for for smart materials, it t- transpires that nature is, of course, a, a perfect place to find smart materials. Yeah. So in nature, we have... Uh, Lots of systems that are engineered by nature to to do things in response to stimuli, of course. Okay. And why is this helpful? How can this be helpful? How can smart materials be helpful? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I guess if you you think of the things that we want... um, our materials to do, we also often actually don't want them to do the same thing all the time. So I guess let's take an extreme example, like um, you've built a structure, like a bridge, and um, it fractures. You 
actually suddenly want that material to to be a little bit fluid and heal the crack and then like reset itself. That would be perfect, right? right? That's not necessarily an easy task, but that would be an example of uh, a really smart material that could heal itself. Um, or even uh, smaller electronic devices, if they if the electronic circuitry gets fractured, ideally you'd like it to be able to heal itself in response to that fracture. Um, you might want something to sense something and give, send you a signal. Um, we have lots of sensors around us, and a lot of them are are based on smart materials. So, what uh, what research project are you working on now that you're the most excited about? I'm excited about all of my research projects, <laughs> <laughs> but if we're, if we're going to take one that's got something to do with smart materials, something that I've, I've just started looking at recently is um, how we can look to nature to um, see what, what, what nature could do for us. So basically hijacking the smartness of nature and make it do something perhaps unexpected for us. So mm-hmm. uh, at the moment, I'm interested in the... Uh, piezoelectric properties of biomolecules. So piezoelectricity is if you have a material and you apply um, mechanical force to it, it would generate uh, an electric potential. Lots of materials do this, uh, quartz, for example. Uh, And actually, a lot of uh, biological materials do it too, uh, to a slightly lesser extent. But if we can um, hijack that and use use it for something, then we would have materials that are then fully biodegradable and uh, non-toxic and things like that. So I'm excited about that. Cool. How is that used in biology? Actually, um, it's probably not used to a very large extent in biology. So there is a couple of tissues where it's believed that the piece of electricity of the material is important. So for example, in bone and bone healing, it's believed that the fact that we're constantly putting the bone under strain uh, will lead to a response in the tissue to, to increase the the strength and the healing um, where hmm. you're applying that strength, the, the strain. But for, for a lot of biological materials, it's probably just something that happens to be there. Um, yeah because the the material has a a dipole in it that can be hopefully hijacked. Yeah. Okay. And so what are you using to investigate that? We're using a technique called atomic force microscopy a lot. This is a a type of microscopy that's sort of a blind microscopy. It doesn't use light. Instead, it's essentially feeling the surface um, like if you'd be reading Braille, but on the nanoscale. So you have a tiny tip and you, you, you read across the surface. Um, and normally, or it's in its most basic form, it's an imaging technique only, but you can also do things like apply a potential and see how much the material responds um, by mm. extension or apply a force. And I guess you could, uh, in theory, also measure if the material builds up charge in response to that. How, how big are the distances with atomic force microscopy, like between the tip and your material? So the tip is in contact with the material in this case, for especially for measuring the piezoelectric properties. Yeah. Um, and the tip is not as tiny as for other types of uh, atomic force microscopy where you're just imaging. So it's probably as huge as maybe 20 nanometers in diameter. <laughs> wow, massive. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when people say high temperature superconducting and you're like, oh, what's high temperature? And like minus 200 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> yep. When you say material and you're using the 
uh, atomic force microscopy to investigate the material. What kind of material are we talking like? Uh, tissue culture, like cells, or are you? Actually, in this case, we're uh, really interested in collagen because okay. col- collagen is known to have these piezoelectric properties. And um, in order to use it on like a bulk scale, you have to have the molecules aligned. And uh, tissues are an amazing source of highly aligned collagen. So f- at the moment, we're just starting this research, but we've been looking at tendon in particular. Cool. All right. And what do you want to do with it? Like if everything goes to plan, I guess, what could it be used for? (laughs) I guess if everything goes to plan, ideally we'd be able to use um, biological materials to harvest energy. And whilst they will be extremely unlikely to harvest a large amount of energy, so they probably would not replace the piezoelectric materials that you have in your cell phone um, or they wouldn't harvest energy enough to like drive a car or anything they hopefully will be useful for quite simple um, electronic parts that you could use to replace things like maybe imagine if you could have a completely biodegradable battery for example or Mm -hmm. um, replace uh, traditional piezoelectric materials with uh, something biodegradable that would be cool so if I'm understanding this right, if you had like two collagen, I guess, um, materials right next to each other or layers, and then you squish them together, you would generate a current? So you generate you gener- electricity? Yeah, you generate um, electrical charge, so a potential difference. And then getting the current out is actually one of the challenges often with the piezoelectric materials. They're quite good at generating a high, high voltage, but mm-hmm. it's very hard to get a decent current out of them. Mm-hmm. So if you had like, some, I don't know, maybe some type of exercise band or something where you may have, you know, physical stress applied, you might be able to not have a battery. Like, I don't know, is that a potential yeah. use yeah. of that? Yeah. So maybe if you make like a, <laughs> um, I don't know, take a, a tendon from a huge animal and somehow rig it up to, um, to something to store the energy. Maybe if you sit there and, and pull on the tendon, you can um, generate enough electricity to do something with it. We're hoping to to be able to get it down on a slightly smaller scale than a macroscopic huge exercise yeah. band, but yeah, yeah. And what's the most interesting smart material that you've heard of that's out there? I guess it's a super wide field, and um, there's lots of cool smart materials. But something that fascinates me, as I guess I've already said, is that the idea of looking to nature. So something that people are doing more and more now is that they are looking at the way that nature is um, constantly using energy to do something so it doesn't sit in this state that it's at happily in equilibrium it's constantly using energy to to do what it's doing and people are trying to engineer materials to do something similar now and that means that you can create materials that if you give them some chemical energy they would start swimming for example so people are making these like little tiny um, micro nanoscale um, little swimmable jellyfish that swim in response <laughs> to some some chemical that's cool that's i think cool. yeah so is there we were talking about this just before um you called in actually is there then a a spectrum of how smart materials are from like this one is kind of we call from it mud. smart but yeah <laughs> from Jono's mud to 
hovercraft <laughs> or invisibility clothes. Or swimming jellyfish. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, materials. Yeah. Of like, is there an IQ for materials? Oh, an IQ for materials. Probably, eh? But I don't know who's uh, at liberty to define that. Because I think researchers would like to say that a material is the smarter, the more effort they have put into developing it. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if that's the, the <laughs> fairest uh, definition. Hey, that was a great interview. Yeah. That was so interesting. I guess we need an IQ test for smart materials to figure out which is the smartest of them all. I think the real question is, do you think you're smarter than a material? I'm going to go with yes. I'm highly responsive to all kinds of different stimuli. I mean, especially chocolate. But <laughs> I'm not that arrogant. I think, um, I think I'm definitely smarter than some material. I'm definitely smarter than mud. All right. Good. Okay. You're setting the bar nice and low. I don't but know. You've, you've scaled that bar. <laughs> A piezoelectric material? Like, I don't, know if, I don't know if I generate electricity if you... Uh, were to apply pressure to me <laughs> although actually my, my brain generates electricity so i guess um yeah there you are piezoelectric guess, uh, <laughs> brain and i mean you definitely say some things that are shocking uh mm-hmm. <laughs> i try but yeah i i was thinking about this like the iq test thing for me the smartest material would be the material that does what you needed to do you know if that's like your bridge that's repairing itself or a jacket that's making electricity to charge your phone. And it doesn't matter whether you spend 20 years researching that thing or you've literally just found the material in nature, but it does what you need. Yeah. So if I want a material that just supports my body weight when I jump on it, it doesn't matter if it's just some mud that I found by a riverbank. It's the smartest material. Oh, we're uh... back to the mud. (laughs) All of the promise and the applications and the future that smart materials could bring us. It's inspiration from nature, Claire. (laughs) I don't know. The potential for smart materials is just amazing. It's so cool looking into some of the stuff that we've come across. Like invisibility cloaks and self-healing concrete and... Yeah, I'm just excited to see what comes next. It is pretty cool. If you want to find out more about smart materials and the potential they have for our future, you can visit the McDiamond Institute website. What What's the song again, Jono? www.macdiarmid.ac.nz <laughs> So catchy. Next time, we're going to talk about Models, and not the type that Donald Trump likes. We're going to talk about the ones that describe our physical world, that tell us how our climate works, and how we engineer basically everything in the world. Sadly, this is the last episode with Dr. Claire Kincannon, but I'm happy to say that she has moved on to bigger and better things and is now hosting the radio show Our Changing World with Radio New Zealand, which is great. She's going to talk about a lot of great scientific things on that show. So check it out. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.